This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Ach, Ramos, everybody. Perik Yud Zion, Pusik Zion. This is a Pusik that I have always favored. I even gave a Shavuos shir, not based on this Pusik, but I spoke about this Pusik extensively around five years ago, about Ashmedai, King of the Demons. Tarek Yud Zayin, Pasuk Zayin, V'liyizpuchu, Od Ezivcheim, Lasi'irim Hashem Zonim Achreim. They will no longer shecht their korbanos to the goats that they have strayed after. Chukas Olam Tiela Zoslam Medorosam. This is going to be a law forever for all of their generations. This law is going to be there forever for them. Now Rashi translates the word Si'irim as demons, Shadim. Perhaps the reason why is because it's missing the final yud. Seirim is spelled sin ayin yud resh mem. There's no yud at the end. The Igritikala, the Bnei Suscher, says that whenever there's a letter of Hashem's name missing from a word, if you see one of the letters of yud ke vav ke missing from a word, that means the indication is, is that there's a bit of tuma there. There's something that has to do with tuma in that area. So for that reason, there's something missing. And that's how we know that it doesn't refer to regular goats, that it's not referring to a regular goat. The fact that it's missing a yud shows me that it's actually referring to demons. That's used elsewhere as well, the word seirim for demons. As it says in Yeshaya, yud gimel chafal, seirim yurakdu sham, by the area of the korban base of Mikdash, where there were houses that were dilapidated, destroyed, there were seirim dancing there. It wasn't, go- it wasn't referring to goats, it's referring to these demons that were playing there. Targum Yonason says not like this. He doesn't say it's demons. He says, on demasilin l'shedin. Now, we don't know exactly what that means, but it seems like idols that were used for demonology. I don't know why Targum Yonason says this. The truth is, he is the only one that says this. This is not a Gemara, not a Medrash. This is not brought anywhere. It's only him. Only Targum Yonason Menuzio, <laughs> that's good enough. But only he says that it's referring to an idol that's used for demonology. Yalkuruveni, number 63 from the Sefer HaChassino, number 1141, says it was a process. They planted a tree. There was a time that they knew that it was going to be effective. I actually spelled the word effective wrong over here. It should be with an E instead of an A, everybody. But that's that according to their Kishuf. They would chop it down one year later until a certain shade would come and dance on top of the tree, was willing to tell them future events. Again, I don't know if that line from the Sefer HaChassidim that the Yalkuruveni is quoting is referring to demonology, where they were trying to bring up demons, or if they were actually worshipping the demons themselves. That I don't know. But there was a process. There was a whole process to it, what they did. The Kliakr says that the reason why this Pusik is here is there are people that fool themselves by the Seir La Zazel and Yom Kippur, which is the beginning of Parshach Ramos, when they think pushing the goat off the cliff is a gift to the Satan, giving to the Malachamavis, they think that this is something that's like demonology, giving over to the side of Tuma, and if it's as if it's real, there's a challenger to God, there's another one that's going up against the Kaddish Baruch that we have to placate on Yom Kippur, so to speak. And the Seirim are their, I don't know, their cronies that go around and do what they want them to do, etc. Kaddish Baruch Hu tells us, don't think such a thing. Even though I did Seir Lazazel, that's not what Seir Lazazel means. Seirim, you don't shachtu, you don't come anywhere near this type of thing. And it seems like this is a belief, says the Kliakar, that the nation had when they were in Egypt. Remember, Egypt is filled with kishuf, with magic. Whether it was real or not, they were into this stuff. Rashi says, latehem latehem. There was Maisek Shafim, there was Maisek Shadim. They did both of them, and they were both involved. It's clear they were involved. And then he gets to the Ibn Ezra. 
The Ibn Ezra, by Sir La Zozo, on Perak Tazayim Pasachas, says the following. He says, I'm going to reveal to you a little bit of the secret in a hint. When you become 33 years old, you will understand it. Now, nobody understands what 33 is. 40 is the age, not 33, right? And even that, I doubt they waited until the age of 40 to learn Kabbalah back in the day. And even 40 is a little bit of a joke. You become, when you're 40, 40 years of learning, you understand what your Rebbe meant to tell you years earlier. That's where the 40 comes from. It has nothing to do with the age of 40 necessarily, even though 40 does help you understand certain things according to Perkyavos, etc. It's not necessarily the 40 that's so important. But the Ramban comes along and says, I'll be a tail bearer. I'll go ahead. I'll tell people. I'll tell you everybody what the secret is. And he goes through the concept. This year is not going to be about the Ramban. We spoke about this Ramban years earlier. And this Ramban is an unbelievable Ramban. But the coolest thing is Rav Chaim Paltiel. Rav Chaim Paltiel is a reason says that if you count from that Pasuk, Perak Tez Zion, Pasuk Ches, to this Pasuk, Yud Zion, Pasuk Zion, there are 33 Psukim. What the Ibn Ezra is hinting to is that don't think the Seir La Azazel, the goat that goes to Azazel, was a gift to the demon gods. That's not what it is. The secret will be shown in 33 psukim that clearly that's not the indication here. That's not what's meant over here. That's not what was supposed to be. That's the Ibn Ezra says it. Now, we already said this. The Ibn Ezra says that the word Ode is used here. Ode as Zibchayim. Because the Jews used to do this while there were slaves in Egypt. They can no longer do it. Zonim. Because anyone who searches for them and believes in them is turning away. They're zoneh. They turn away from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, believing that they have power, that there's something else aside from HaKadosh Baruch Hu's power himself. The Chassam Sofer says you should never serve anything that's lower than what HaKadosh Baruch Hu, because that's beyond insulting to be, be able to do such a thing. It's not like there's anything that's equal to that. But beyond a little goat, what does that mean? These are creatures that receive their shefa from the remnants that are given to human beings. They're not like the kohos above, like the malachim or the planets or the stars or the constellations that do have a power. They're called kohos for a reason. There is something that they have. And even by the other nations, the Chassam Sofer says, the other nations do have an ability to reach their malach and to ask their malach for things. And that's not considered a bodhisattva like we learned in Parshas Vlaschan a couple years ago. There is an ability for them to speak to them. The goat has nothing to do with that. These demons have nothing to do with that. Don't go anywhere near because they're so small, they're so minuscule, they're so nothing. There's no reason to serve them since they're so low, they're on such a lower level than everything that we have. Ayala Sashachar asked this question. If anybody have an answer, has an answer for this, I guessed. I don't really have an answer. If they did this in Mitzrayim, but they didn't want to even sacrifice goats and sheep in Mitzrayim because that was the god of the Egyptians. Does anybody, why would they have sacrificed to the demons in Mitzrayim? Why, they never would have done that because that would be against the religion of the Egyptians and they would have killed them for it. I, I just, when did they do that? I, I'm, it's a great question where Steinman asks it. I suggested maybe the answer would be that they weren't sacrificing animals, but rather they were making the animals bleed and the blood is what attracts the demons, as we'll see later on. Later on in the Parsha, it says that. 
they were what? Sacrificing kids to the demons. It's possible, but it seems like it was the animals that they were sacrificing to the goats, like to those demons. I, I think, I, I don't know, I have absolutely no idea. It seemed really strange that they were doing sacrificing animals that they shouldn't have done anyway. I, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that. Okay, the Torah more explains the idea behind this pretty well. He says, Benesol often sacrificed demons to Egypt, to the demons in Egypt, and tried to have a relationship with them. And for that reason, a major mitzvah was introduced. The mitzvah was only bring korbanos in the base of Mikdash and nowhere else. You can only bring it in the Makoma Mishkan at this point, because it's still in the mid, obviously in, in the Midbar. And later on, only in the base of Mikdash or the permanent structure that the Mishkan was going to be. And you couldn't bring anywhere else. If the Mishkan was destroyed, then you were allowed to bring on Bamos. But otherwise, you wouldn't be able to do anything whatsoever. He gives a mushal to a prince who was exiled from his father. He got used to eating disgusting fast food. He doesn't give that mushal in the Medrash, but I'm using that. But he ate fast food all the time. And then when they pulled him back, the officers were like, listen, the ministers said to the king, there's no way he's going to come back and eat princely food. He's so used to eating garbage, he's not going to appreciate the good food you give him. The king said, bring him in. Don't worry about it. I'll get him used to it and I'll get him back. And that's the idea. We were so used to doing all these things, sacrificing the demons, being involved with demons, doing this garbage stuff, even drinking blood to relate ourselves to the demons themselves. The king says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, don't worry. I'm going to get them back. I'm going to get them normal again. Everything's going to be okay. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, when he gets involved, will allow them to come back. That's the idea of the Torah or how he says it started. The Meshachachma says this is why Basar Taiva, regular meat, not a korban, regular meat was usser in the midbor. You couldn't have regular, like a random, I don't know, a steak on Sunday if it wasn't a shlumen, if it wasn't a shlumen that you were bringing in the Mishkan itself. And when they came there at Sol, it changed. The Meshachachma, Mayor Simchot Devin says, in Eretz Yisrael, there was a power in the hands of the based in Agadol to be mevatol the Yetzirah of Avodah They may not have done it. Yoshua didn't do it. It wasn't done until the Anshe Knesset Gedola in between the first and second base of Midrash, toward the end when the second base of Midrash was first made. They didn't do it. They weren't mevatol the Yetzirah of Avodah yet. But they could have. That was the power that they had. In the midbor, they didn't have that power. In the midbor, if they sacrificed bus, bus or taiva, regular taiva dika meat, they could give in to their desires for Abodazara and use that meat to connect with demons and do that crazy stuff out there. When Chazal to, when they went to Eretz Yisrael, that desire was lessened. Eventually, they got rid of it completely. But at least it was lessened. And therefore, because of that, bus or taiva was oster in the midbor, but mutter when they came in there. Now, if you think about it, the Abarbanel and Rabbi Victor Miller brings this down. This clearly seems to prove the Rambam's position. Does anybody remember the Machlokis Rambam and Ramban in why Korbanos exist in the first place? To the beginning of Parshas Vayikra, the Rambam has a famous line, it's in Mori Nebuchim, that the purpose of all Korbanos, all Korbanos, was to knock out the Ovdei Avodah Zarah. Those who worshipped Avodah Zarah and believed in it, they mamish believed it was real, right? They would worship sheep, like those in Egypt, goats, like most of Europe, and cows in India. And these people mamish believed they were gods. So we take their gods, says the Rambam, and we sacrifice them to Hashem. Because the people were so used to sacrificing, Hashem wanted to say, forget it, no korbanos, get rid of everything. But because they were so used to sacrificing... So let's do their gods and we'll sacrifice them to a Baruch Hu. That's the Rambam's view. Yeah, Dave. But the Rambam's existed before there was a Vodazara. 
Oh, so that's one of the five kashas of the Ramban. The Ramban has five questions. One of them is, what did Adam do? What did Noach do? Right? The obvious questions. Cain and Hevel. Right? Adam brought a korban. Cain and Hevel brought a korban. Noach brought a korban. There was no Avodah Zarah. In the future, we're going to have korbanos. But there's not going to be any Avodah Zarah. What's the point? That's the question. Yes, those are one slash two questions of the Ramban that he asked in the Ramban. There are obvious questions out there. But this Pusik seems to clearly indicate this idea is, seems to be, this is a proof to the Rambam itself. The whole point of this was to wean them off of idol worship. Bring korbanos in the base of Mikdash. Bring your meat. If you want to eat meat, go to the base of, go to the Mishkan and bring it there. Why? Because otherwise you're going to sacrifice it to the demons. It's a Pusik that seems to say exactly like the Rambam. It's do this because we're afraid of what you're going to do otherwise. It could be that this is the proof of what the Rambam was saying over there. That there were t- being, and again, as we said before, it could be that the nations actually had that. The nations did have malachim that were in charge of their nation. Rahav in Mitzrayim, the Dubiel for Persia. There were malachim that were in charge, and they sacrificed to those malachim, and it worked for them. It could be that that was it, and it had to be stopped by the Jews. So therefore, the Apostle tells us, bring our korbanos into the base of Mikdash to stop that. That's the Rambam. That seems to be the Rambam. So it's not like there's no answer for it. It, It's a really good proof. Rav Schwab brings up the other Rambam. You guys know there's another Rambam? At the end of Hilchos Me'ilah, at the end of Hilchos Me'ilah, the Rambam calls Korbanos a chok that we do not understand. A a law that we can't understand. And everybody asks, what do you mean? The Rambam famously wrote that the purpose of all Korbanos is to knock out a Vodazara and always calling it a chok. Now he's calling it, okay, how, how, do you, how do you put both those together? Rav Schwab says it's possible, and Dave, this would answer your question, that there's a difference between a neder, a neder or a nedava, a korban that I want to bring on my own, versus a chiyuv that Hashem makes us do. Why do I bring a korban tamid every morning and every evening? Why do I bring korbanos musafin? Why do I have a, a mincha that I have to bring? Or a chatas, or an asham when I sin, or other types of... Why do I have to do that? That is a chok that we can't understand. That's a chok that doesn't make any sense at all. But why do I bring nidaram and nidavos? Why should I ever do that? How can I give something... It seems to be a process that the Ovdeh Avodazar used to do. For that, says Rosh Schwab, that's why the Torah says over here, and it says, if you're going to do it, do it to knock out the Ovdeh Avodazar. They were so used to doing it in Mitzrayim. They were so used to sacrificing to the demons. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, fine, I'll give you something. But only for this and only in this way, and you can't do it in any other way. You can't take a deer, you can't take a gazelle, you can't take an antelope. Even though they're all kosher, you can't even take a buffalo. You can take a cow, sheep, or goat, because that's what the Ovdeh Vodazara did. And only that and nothing else, so you stop bringing to the demons. That's the idea behind it, which is a brilliant answer by Rashwab, putting it all together. There are three other answers. We mentioned them before, two from the Chassam Sofer, and one from the Ritva, which is a very interesting answer. But we'll stop with that right now. Why are they called Seirim? Why call demons Seirim? So Ibn Ezra says, Seirim are because of the word Yista'er. When people see them or hear about them, they get shocked. They go crazy when they see or hear about demons. And, the, and for that reason, I guess, that, that's why they call them Seirim, not from the word Seir as in goat, but rather from the word shocking. That's the idea behind it. But he also says that crazy people see demons in the form of goats. Does not explain that. But they've been as that's how they see them, yeah. Um, isn't the Nerizmar the Rambam, 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 the R
sure if Hashem was this one Moshe did, is that he's not all Malachim and Hashem has the feet of like goats. Not of goats that have cow feet, calf feet. That, and that goes with the eagle as of. But even then, I don't know if they saw a real picture of what the angels were. And you're right, because that's a Gemara in Yuma. The Gemara in Yuma, right, it's in Dafyomisim, probably around Tesvav, says that the foot of the Malach that hit the Tzuduki and got him out of the Kodesh HaKadoshim was a calf's hoof. But that not, wasn't necessarily a proof that they would think that everything was like that. I, I don't know. That's a little bit strange in and of itself. Then it's he suggests that all demons have ADD, which is really interesting. They jump all over, pla- all over the place. They cannot stay in one place. They're like small little goats that cannot get... They're all over. They're just jumping all over, doing everything all over the place. And that's why they're called Seirim, because they're like goats in how they act. So we've got the looks. We've got their actions. We've got a shocking look as well. The Yalkurveni says... This is unbelievable. Male demons are different from female demons. Remember, there's no physical anatomy, technically. The difference between them is that male demons have hair, and female demons do not. When Boaz was surprised by Rus on the threshing floor, Boaz was sleeping on the threshing floor, and Rus came to him that night, Naomi had suggested to her that she should go to Boaz and convince Boaz to marry her, and Rus went to the threshing floor, Boaz was not sure if it was a demoness or a woman. So he felt her hair, the top of the head, and when he felt hair, he realized it was a woman and told her to go home. That there would be no issues, but that's not the way for this to happen. Go home and I'll deal with it later. But that's it, that male demons have hair, and therefore they're called seirim, as in the word seor, not seir, but seor is in the hair itself. That that's what they end up having. Unbelievable, right? The Ramban earlier in Ches Tezayin, I'm sorry, says the planet known as Mars is known for bloodiness and war. Its counterpart among the nations is Asab, who's also known as Seir, and he also has the right to wage war, Alchar B'chatichya. And among the animals, it is the goat. The, inter- the counterpart for all of them is the goat, which is why Asab is also known as Seir. Shadim are connected to this mazel as well because they were created Arab Shabbos Bena Shmashos. At that time, the mazel in charge of that time is, it's not a mazel, but the planet is Mars. And that's Mars connected to Asaph, connected to Seir. They're all connected to each other. That's the reason why they're called Seirim as in Seir itself. And the Rabag has a whole piece on that as well. The Ramban adds on that they're called Shadim because they're Mishodeid. They destroy. In fact, it also comes with the word Sadeh because they're found in fields, etc. But that's why they're called Shadim themselves. Now, Ravhersh is amazing. says Seirim represents an animal which lives out in the open and does its own thing and cannot be domesticated. It's not referring to the domestic goats that we see in zoos that you can feed all the time. It's referring to goats that are wild and crazy and are not willing to be domesticated. When we were in Nevada not too long ago, right, when we were driving, we went on one of these hikes, and when we were driving, right in front of our car, a bighorn sheep, like one of those bighorn sheep, technically not a goat, walked right through the street. There are cars driving everywhere. And it just walked like there's nothing else going on right through there and just went right down. First of all, it was unbelievably cool. Bighorn sheep are amazing. We saw them later on. I turned my car. It was amazing. Absolutely amazing. But they just don't care. They seriously don't care. They're willing to do anything. And I know that's a sheep. It's not a goat. But the same basic idea. This is a wild goat that cannot be domesticated. It is the, says the Rav Hirsch, in his words, the antithesis 
to morality and living within boundaries. Goats represent breaking through the boundaries and being able to do what you want. If a person brings his sacrifice to the goats of the field, what he's trying to say is, instead of the base of Mikdash, what he's trying to say is, and this is Rapersh's words, he considers animalism leaving, living, uncultured, out in the open, open, and totally uncontrolled, not in control of yourself, as the ideal for mankind. To lose your godly character and all of the fences we make for ourselves, keeping ourselves in, losing it all, doing whatever I want to do, breaking out into the open, and therefore, you don't need rules, you don't need laws, you're willing to do whatever you want. That's why the punishment for doing this, of sacrificing to the goats, is chayiv kares. You're chayiv kares? For bringing a korban? I'm bringing a korban! I'm doing this for Hashem! I want to bring a korban to a Kaddish Baruch Hu. I believe that a Kaddish Baruch Hu is amazing. That's what I'm doing it for. But I'm doing it out in the open. It's because Hashem tells you, my rules mean you live within my boundaries. You stay within my boundaries. You go outside of my boundaries, you do it over there. You're wrong. You're wrong. You can't do that. That's out of my world. That's out of where I am. That's the concept behind it. And he says, for that reason... It's our Tzelem Elohim, he says, that allows for the pure contrast of killing animals being allowed versus killing people being absolutely forbidden. If you're just another animal, a Darwin, highly evolutionized animal, you're a monkey that has the ability to speak and the ability to have a frontal lobe in your brain and you can make decisions, that's all you are. You're no better than a dolphin or a monkey or anything else or a great ape. You are just a human being that is just another animal. Then we lost our entire sense of what humanity is all about. Says Rapersh, this is the pshat. We are encouraged to use animals for our own usages. There's no question in our benefit to serve HaKadosh Baruch properly. But we're absolutely forbidden to treat animals as something to emulate, to live a life and a morality that equals what they're doing, to envy or copy them in any way. And that's why demons are called Sirim. It's outside of, our, our, of where we represent. Yes, Dave. That's a great call. That's a great call. I mean, we say that by the birds. It doesn't necessarily say it by it. I, I think the reason why is just because of what the Ramban says in Shemini. If you're a nirdaf, even if you consider yourselves outside the border, but if you're a nirdaf, if you're chased by other animals, you're not a carnivore, you are chased by others, then it's kosher. I mean, obviously you need the split hooves and chewing the cut, etc. But if you have that, you still have to be a nirdaf. It is super, yeah, but, but it also might have been, it might have been out of convenience. You know what I'm saying? It's, no, but it's convenience. How often are you going to find that versus a goat sheep? And yeah, that's that. It's an interesting call. Yeah. I mean, it could be, it's referring to like what's called the Ibex now in Eretz Like that's what the Seerim are referring to as opposed to the domestic goats that we have today, which are probably, you know, they've probably been, their DNA is so much different from what it was back then. I have no idea. It's a great call. That's a great call. According to this reverse, why is it? By the way, has anybody here ever had goat? You've had goat meat? Yeah. Of course you have. It, it's <laughs> like, yeah, it's, like, it's, it's like gamey good? Wear. It's gamey, right? Doesn't Rabbi have a, like, like a goat head for... Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's just like the cheek meat. That's disgusting. You know what I'm saying? What? 
I'm sure he does. Yeah. I, I, of course he would. Very, I'm just saying. I'm just saying, well, who eats regular goat meat? Like, you never, you never ask for that. Is it really? Elk? That's so funny. Okay, so the next time I go to Romania, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll say, like, we have, oh, yeah, elk is definitely kosher. Moose is technically kosher also. Anyway, guys, if anybody's read C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, then you've, you know Mr. Tumnus, the fawn slash satyr that's at the, v- the very beginning of the, of the book itself. Now, C.S. Lewis took these, the fawn and the satyr and whatever it is and turned it into this like, nice little creature that was really helpful, right? And helped Lucy, I think it was, right? Bring her around Narnia and everything was perfectly fine. It's a great book. If you get rid of all the Christian undertones, which is literally the entire seven books, you can kind of understand, like, it's a cute little children's book and it works out really well and that's that. But these animals, right, the, the fawns and the satyrs that the Romans and Greeks believed that were out there, are actually the absolute most disgusting creatures that ever existed in the world. And if you understand this, you know where Persia's coming now. As a timeout, I am going to suggest to you, do not Google fawn or satyr, okay? F-A-U-N-S-A-T-Y-R. Don't Google it, because the pictures are horrific. I will also tell you, do not Google the word pan, P-A-N, as in Peter Pan, you know, like where Peter Pan comes from, right? Pan is horrific as well. Pan is the god of the wild shepherds and flocks, nature of the mountain wilds, rustic music, and the companion of the nymphs. He has the hindquarters, legs, and horns of a goat in the same manner as a fawn or a satyr, with his homeland in rustic Arcadia, that is like a small little, almost like a peninsula, like lowest part of Greece in the Mediterranean Sea. A peninsula off of Athens and south of mainland Greece, he is also recognized as the god of the fields, groves, wooden glens, and often affiliated with immoral things. Because of this, Pan is connected to fertility in the season of spring. The word panic ultimately derives from that name, Pan itself. It is, I'm, I'm skipping out on around 20 sentences here, that even if you just look on Wikipedia, it's pretty horrific what these creatures represented and what they did. They were not clean creatures. It was the Greek way of saying, do whatever in the world you want. That's what Pan referred to, this goat-like creature. That's what they believed in. And now it's clear where Rapersh is coming from. The Rapersh is saying the idea of the goats being worshipped back then is not about a goat. It's not about a goat. It's about these creatures being on a different level and something so completely different. It meant you could do whatever you wanted to do. And not just any, I mean, Arias of any type of Arias. That's what they stood for and how disgusting they were. Now, the Sforno says these Corbonos were not brought because they thought, don't think that they thought these demons were their gods, Chashom. That's how it kind of started off. That's, they weren't gods. Instead, they wanted these demons to be their friends and their servants. So they would sacrifice to them and take blood and even drink blood to help them get what they needed done or send messages to faraway places, which we know those Shadim were able to do. We have examples of this in Shas. Yosef Shada appears in Erevim Mem Gimel, Psachim Kuf Yud, Chulin Kuf by Ravashi. We have Shadim used by the Amorayim in certain ways. He said, then he goes on, he says, Svorno says, it's difficult to understand the existence of Shadim that are called Mazikin by Chazal, the damaging demons that were out there by Chazal. They apparently, they have the ability to multiply, to eat, drink, sleep, and die. We say in Chagiga, Tezayin, Gitnayin, Gimel, Ashmedai, 
maybe lived either a thousand years altogether, or could even be three thousand years. Depends on where Ashmedai came from. Was he the daughter of the child? I'm sorry, of from Naama, and lived to see Rabbi Yosef and Psachim Kuvyud. I'm sorry. Do they have There's a marsha that seems to indicate that they have Bechira because they have a chance to go to Olam Haba. And the only way to get to Olam Abba is through that. But we'll see, there might be different types altogether. There's even a sefer called Shoshan Sodos, who was written by an unnamed Rishon, who says that the demons have had three kings. Ashmedai, Hand, or Hand, I don't know, and Vlad. Interesting, right? I think I'm pronouncing it correctly. I have absolutely no idea. Who is still alive today, and maybe even more, there could be even more here. We, we have absolutely no idea. They apparently can see without being seen which means they seem to be created out of air and fire as opposed to dirt and water. Those are the four elements with heart. They make Captain Planet, right? But the four that were out there, the air and, and fire were how they were created, etc. And they were able to do that. And therefore, they don't need to be seen. They can allow themselves to be seen, but they don't have to. Maybe that's why their sustenance is blood, which is the most physical of things out there, so to speak. And therefore, but still connected to the nefesh. And therefore, when they drink it, they're able to bring themselves to a physical way. I, I don't know. I don't know what it means. But that's why Chazal say, don't get involved in this thing. Says the Sforno, don't get involved. Why the Torah tells us multiple times not to drink blood since they knew these creatures were called mazikin for a reason, especially at night when they became dangerous. Now the Ramban adds that perhaps their main area is the north. He says, it's extremely cold. There's no one around to bother them there. I don't know if in the times of the Ramban they knew about Antarctica, if they realized that there was something in the south as well. But at least in the north, they knew that things went all the way up, that there was no inhabitants there, and they like being mishodeid by themselves with nothing else around where it's by themselves. Although they were created like human beings were, they were created, their existence came from air and fire, he says, like the Sforno, which means that it is impossible for us to see and they are unaffected by extreme cold or extreme heat. That allows them to fly places, allows them to get places that human beings cannot, allows them to get places quicker than a human being would. They can also hear what goes on in the heavens because they have the ability to fly. They can hear gezeros and they can hear what's going on in the immediate future, although even that can be changed with the Bechira of human beings. They say they know how to read the stars better than we do, which means they can tell those types of things. And we can... Ask them for these things. But he says, there's no point to speaking to them, communicating with them, getting to deal with them directly. Anything they tell you can be changed. They could lie as well. They don't mind lying. They don't care. They can appear to you in a dream and have the ability to say whatever they want to you, but they have no power to change or to do anything whatsoever. And therefore, you should stay away from them as much as, much as they can. In addition, they do live and die. They live when the Yisotas are combined. They die when it's detached from one another. The air and the fire are detached. That causes them to cease to exist. The concept of them being created Erev Shabbos Ben Ashmashos with two Yisodos instead of four mentioned by Medrash Rabbah Zayin Hey Kaddish Baruch who purposely created them Erev Shabbos right before Shabbos started to show that if you're in the middle of work even if you're not going to be able to finish don't finish therefore the demons weren't finished and for that reason they're also shapeshifters which means they can look like and act like anything whatever they want to be because Kaddish Baruch who purposely kept that out from them hold on the Marami Ruttenberg in his Chuvas Chelek Dalet 10 23 says it was only the legs that weren't created out of Shabbos. They were made to appear like chicken feet with marks on the ground, which is the least physical object of the body. The Maharal mentions that. That's the reason why if you see those feet, brachos davav, you can think that there's shadim around. The Gemara Chagiga says there are some shadim like malachim. There are ways in which shadim are like malachim. There are other ways in which shadim are like people. There are other ways in which shadim are like animals. And the reason why is because he says there are three types of, of 
demons. Shaden Yehudoyin, this is brought down the Zohar, like Ashmedai, king of the demons, Yosef, Shada, who do good things, and they have Bechira, and they can go to Olam Haba. Shaden Yuchrayin, that are only damagers, destroyed, they could care less about human beings, they lie, and they are horrible creatures that are only out there to destroy, that's that. And there are others that are literally like animals. They cannot move, they cannot talk, they can't do what other things, well, I should say they move, but they can't talk, they can't do the regular things out there. The Rabbeinu Bechayi says the three types are in the air, on the land, in the water. They come to us through dreams, they cause us to sin, they don't come up at all because they would destroy us otherwise. That's the idea behind them. There's more. Ravaran Soloveitchik used to say here in Chicago that the clear indication is that Shadim are referring to forms of bacteria. And although now we have no ability to see how bacteria could come together and form physical creatures in front of us and to be able to live, it may have been that back in the day there was that power until something happened, where Schwab has his theories, there are other theories out there of what happened, but it seems like that did happen and that it was there. If bacteria is there, it explains a bunch of Gemaras. I found years ago this Kuntras Yada Shadim that I have now. I couldn't find it for years. It's a long story how I got it in the first place, where it says there were 10,000 on, oh, 10, on your left and 1,000 on your right. That's the Gemara and Brachos. If it's bacteria, that, that makes sense that it'd be so many around there. If your eyes were able to see them, you would go crazy from what they were. Yeah, for those people who have OCD when it comes to bacteria, they go crazy when they feel like they can see them, right? It's absolutely nuts in what they have. The fact that they're shapeshifters, they're somewhat physical, but not really physical. Well, if you look in a microscope, you can see them. You can see them multiplying rapidly. You can see what they do and you have what they are. The fact that they exist in places where people are not, which also makes sense if there's a lot of mold, if there's a lot of whatever it is, they can exist in those areas where people wouldn't be able to be. The fact that they damage houses and are able to cause damage to houses the way mold can do inside a house. These types of things can be answered. But what we can't answer is what it means by there's an Ashma Ashmedai, there's a Yosef Sheda, that they appeared as a seven-headed demon in Kedushan Chavtes. Those things are very difficult for us to understand, and maybe there's something else to it, right? But at least there's that, that it's a possibility that that's an answer as to what it is. If you want real Mary Mikomos, I refer you back to Shavuos five years ago, because I never repeat a Shavuos year. And you can go look it up and listen to it, because it's not recorded anywhere, and I spoke for four and a half hours. So you can go look that up and deal with it yourself. But there's a lot. There's a bunch of other Mary Mikomos for this, and there's some great rias for it. Anyway, the Malbum also goes into this not being a Zara. There's an unreal Maratzchias, Ritzvirshchias, who wrote a psicha to Ein Yaakov, his introduction to Ein Yaakov, the Agadita Gemaras, right, in Ein Yaakov. And what he says is the following. He says, we should take the words of Chazal when they talk about Shadim, Ayin Hara, Ruchos, Kshafim, everything else they talk about, Kipshutam. He says, take it all as Pashapshat. Their, the belief of all these things continued throughout the times of the Tanaim and Amorayim, and not a single one denied it. There was not one Tan or Amora in our Gemara that denied their existence and said they didn't exist. He says, what about the Rambam? The Rambam definitely held differently in the parish of Mishnayis, which is in Avodah Zara Paragimel, Hilchus Avodah Zara, Paragyud Aleph Halacha Tezayin, and in Mori Nevuchim and in two different places. That's three different Svarim of the Rambam. You want to say it's a forgery in one, you can't say it's a forgery in all three. It's clear that he did not feel it was real. But it's very difficult, says Maratzchias, to understand every Gemara dealing with these things as a mushal of some sort. To say that it's all Mishalim and that the rabbis were a bunch of idiots who thought these things existed and they really didn't is very, very hard to say. In fact, the Grah in Kuf Ayin Tes Yud Gimel, 
Kupayin Tes Yud Gimel on the Shulchan Aruch says in Yoridea, says the Rambam seems to have been swayed by his philosophy. That the philosophy that he had learned at the time caused him to think that there was nothing to it, but that's not true. He says, Lo mehem, the Lo Amonim, says the Gra, I don't want to be part of this whatsoever. There's no reason to listen to Sezmar Tzchis in any event. What we should understand, there's a major difference between how our Chachamim dealt with them and how the Chachamim of the other world dealt with them. See, our Chachamim speak about demons as well as the wonders they were able to do in a way in which it's, we asked specific Shadim to do something, a Yosef Shadim, perhaps even an Ashmedai, but only the Shadim Yudayan for specific purposes and never abused that power, never abused it, even though they most certainly could have. Even though there were times where 100% they could have used something, Chazal tell us, don't do it, even if you need them. Don't use them. On the other hand, the other Chachamim would use them for whatever they wanted. They didn't care which was which. They asked them to help them even when they could have done something themselves out of laziness. And that you cannot do. Doing that with Shadim and Mazikin caused the Mazikin to be connected to you, and that's a terrible thing. And listen to this. The Kutzker Rebbe, the very first Gera Rebbe, right? The very first Gera Rebbe. Well, you can say the Chidush Rim. The Kutzker Rebbe was the Rebbe of the Chidush Rim. He used to say the reason the Rambam Paskin this way, that there were no Shadim in the world, is because he didn't want there to be Shadim. And here's the beauty of a Psach If you Paskin in a certain way, you can create a reality. When the Rambam is saying we're not Choshesh for Shadim anymore, he created a reality through the psak of a halacha to say it doesn't exist anymore. That demons will no longer have any power, they can't do anything, and therefore they can't. Because if you say it, you can make it happen. <laughs> that is the most unbelievable answer out there. And therefore, you can answer that all the Gemaras and everything out there, the Rambam was the first to Paskin, they don't. Now why no other Tana or Amora ever did that before the Rambam came around in the 1200s and did it? I can't tell you. I have absolutely no idea. But that's how the Kutzka Rebbe says that's what he did. The Otzer Plos Torah brings down a Medrash that says, Vayihi biyom kalos Moshe. On the day that Moshe Rabbeinu ended, finished doing for the Mishkan, it says, when Moshe destroyed the demons of the world. Now if that's referring to Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu didn't destroy the demons of the world because all the Shadim still exist in the times of Chazal. So what does that mean? What, what does that refer to? He says, it might not refer to Moshe Rabbeinu. It might refer to the Rambam when Moshe destroyed the demons of the world by making this psak and causing it to be there. Now that's a massive Kiddush <laughs> that the Rambam's referring to that. I'll tell you, I always thought, and I haven't found a raya for this, it's based on the Gemara Psach and Kuf Yud. If you're makbid about them, they're makbid on you. And if you're not makbid about them, they're not makbid on you. If you mamish say, they have no, they have no shaykhist to me, I have, I have nothing to do with them, then they don't hurt you, they have no effect on you. They can't have any effect on you. And I feel like that's the idea of what the Rambam's saying here. If this is what the Kutzker Rebbe means, I think that's what it is, but I think it's based on that Gemara. To kapid kaptin and alayu. If you're makbid, they're makbid on you. And if not, they're not. So just don't be makbid on them. And that seems to be how we hold that even if Shadim had this power and existence and everything they did back then, they most certainly do not have anything on us today. We don't have that type of thing on us today because we have the Psaka of the Rambam, according to this Kutzka Rebbe, or the ability, the ability of we're not Machbed, so therefore they're not Machbed in us. It's an unbelievable line. But perhaps that's the idea behind it. I'm going to end with one little thing. The Malay Omer says that until the base of Mikdash was built, 
Kedusha was able to spread from one area to the other. You were able, before that base of Mikdash, you were able to take your Kedusha and literally spread it around to other places. You could make it happen in other places, which is why, before the base of Mikdash was built, before the Mishkan was in a set place, you could bring a Bama. You could bring a Korban on a Bama and you could create Kedusha in a separate area. You could make it for yourself. You could give it to Hashem for that reason in any place. After the base of Mikdash was built, however, only way, the only way to connect to a Kaddish Baruch Hu above was through that Beis Mikdash. If you didn't, then the side of Tuma, the Sitra Achra, had an ability to connect to it and grab their sustenance from those areas and continue to do evil in the world as if they're feeding off it, taking from it. That's the Chok Olam that will last forever, even when the base of Mikdash would be destroyed. And that's what it means over here. Chukas Olam Tiazos Lahem Dorosam. It is a Chok forever that would be there for future generations that you should never do it ever again. Because once that base of Mikdash was there, and Kiddush Rishon Kishel Shadikishel that lasted forever and ever and can never, could never be taken away. So, guys, have a good Shabbos.